1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic and your host of Atlantic and Coastal. Uh, Thank you to everybody. I just want to start the podcast with that. Uh, The numbers for the podcast have been great. The ratings and reviews that we're getting. On Apple and Spotify and and all the other places that people listen to podcasts have been very encouraging. So we we like that. We like the feedback we're getting. We like the direction it's going with the numbers. Uh, Hopefully we can get the word out more and more people can uh, join this little thing that we do every week. Uh, we've had some great guests over the first couple of weeks. David Teal uh, joined us a couple of weeks ago. Katie George of the ACC Network as well. Uh, we have had some fabulous in-house people from the Athletic. Grace Rainer's been on a couple of times. Matt Fortuna, Manny Navarro. Uh, this week we have a great guest too. Uh, David Hale of ESPN.com. Uh, somebody I've known for a while and somebody whose work I admire. Uh, I think if you like ACC football, uh, you should follow David and everything that he does because he'll make you smarter about it if you're doing that. Uh, we're going to hit on every team in this podcast. He uh, runs a, a good length here, and we're going to get to every single team in the league, uh, get David's viewpoint on some stuff. And, you know, he's got opinions about every team out there. So, without further ado, let's get right to it. Here's David. All right, joining us this week, a very special guest, David Hale of ESPN.com. One of the smartest writers, I think, out there. I I learn something every time I read his writing. Also, among the biggest Simpsons aficionados I know, uh, he will put that on Twitter, GIFs and and all sorts of stuff. David, I have my uh, Bort mug here for the occasion (laughs) that I'm doing. Excellent. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. See, when I went to go buy my mugs, they were all out of Bort mugs, uh, which is, you know, because of course there was a a run on them. I'm sure. Uh, no, that's excellent. I did. I I wish I had had a Bort mug. I had. I'm. I have a uh, I Heart Wawa mug at the moment, though. So I guess that's you know. Well, listen.
1: I know a guy. Uh, You know, Aaron McFarlane, correct? Uh, About 15 years ago, he and a friend got into uh, Bort Industries. They were going to make a quick buck (laughs) selling uh, Bort coffee mugs. I think he still has probably a couple dozen in his spare uh, bedroom. Uh, all right this is good i'll
2: have to i'll have to look into that i want to say before we
1: start with the acc if i'll get there i you mentioned simpson stuff all the time are you finding that fewer and fewer people are understanding that those references now that that show is 20 years past its prime or do you sort of serve that as like a litmus test like okay it's a good litmus test
2: yeah it's it's funny that like so part of it is i just disregard anybody who doesn't get the reference because this is how my wife is already like the number of random Simpsons references that I'll make during the course of any given day to my wife that she does not understand in the least. Like it just goes over her head. So I'm just used to it, I think. But, uh, yeah, it's always, there's, you know, I've got, I don't know, whatever, 30,000 Twitter followers and maybe like 50 actually enjoy the references on a regular basis. But that seems like a big enough number to me to continue doing it.
1: Uh, I'm sure we're getting the same feedback on the podcast. Now they go, I didn't come in here for this. (laughs) Let's get to the ACC. Uh, biggest takeaway from last weekend you were at Clemson Miami uh there were a couple big games last week what is your biggest takeaway is, is it Clemson is the king still nobody's touching them UNC is for real there are three teams in the top five what what is uh, the biggest yeah. thing in the ACC right now
2: yeah I mean I think the Clemson performance you kind of have to look at as the biggest takeaway just because not that anybody was doubting that Clemson was still the best team in the league. They clearly are, but it was, you know, their first few weeks was a little bit up and down. Davo does this every year. I feel like where they play a little bit up and down the first few weeks and everybody starts wondering if Clemson still is good. And then, you know, they, they kick into the next year and everybody's like, Oh, Oh no, they, they still are good. And they, they were, I mean, the defensive performance against Miami was as, as good as a performance as Clemson's defense has had in the Dabo era. I mean, they were dominant. Um, uh, Brent Venables is just a, a miracle worker in terms of what he does defensively. Um, the offense I thought was pretty good still there, you know, I, I, Clemson offensively, I, I think I still worry a little bit about where their receiving core is. Uh, their top two receivers are Mari Rogers, who's sort of their slot guy and Travis Etienne, who's their running back. Um, you saw what I think was probably the biggest concern with their younger talented receivers when frank ladson dropped a deep ball uh, that would have probably gone for an easy score and everybody's like oh, well, these are, this is why we're concerned here and then he came back on the next series and caught a deep ball for a touchdown so um you know i, I think there's plenty to take away from that game and say um, not only is clemson still the best but i think they're even trending upward at this point so that's probably not great news for the rest of the league and what i think you saw in miami and what you saw in the in the virginia tech north carolina game is that you've got good teams like the second tier that next tier is good i just think that they all clearly have some flaw to them or some potential weakness or 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 something that can get exposed that is is different than what clemson has whereas i think it's it's just going to be hard to beat Clemson. Now, if you, you take Miami and you say if Miami played their best game of the year, could they have beaten Clemson? I don't think the answer is yes. I think that they would have lost no matter what to, to Clemson this year. If you look at, at, at Virginia Tech and North Carolina, I certainly wouldn't be picking them to beat Clemson, but I think you see a little more explosiveness and a little more of a sort of dynamic threat with those two that – I don't know that Miami had what Brent Venables wants to do defensively is take away the thing that you're best at that you want to do the most and and figure out if you have a plan B and Miami didn't. I, I think having watched Virginia Tech and North Carolina that there's some plan B's there. I just wonder if uh, if they've got the defenses to make it all hold up too.
1: Well, here's how I was thinking of doing this today. Uh, you know, I want to hit on every team in the ACC. We don't do that with a lot of our guests, but you have the knowledge to hit everybody. And I see you do this on Twitter every now and then, and I really like it. You separate things into tiers, and you have this yeah. is the top tier, the next tier. You're not really into like, hey, rank them one to fifteen. Just put them in tiers and kind of go from there. Uh, we started with Clemson, and I call this tier the King. Stay the King because you have to you you have to come at the King, and you have to beat them to do it. Uh, just to continue this Clemson conversation, I mean, what slows them down at this
2: point? Is is
1: it just boredom? I mean, I, I look at the <laughs> next couple of weeks. I'm like, well, who's going to challenge this team?
2: Yeah, and I mean, this has been the story of the last few years in the league is that there is nobody to challenge Clemson. Now, look, the Notre Dame game is on the on the horizon. I tend to kind of view Notre Dame as a pretty static force. That I think they're they're a good team. They're talented, but they're not. The, the, the ceiling for Notre Dame I don't think is as high as it might be for some other teams. The floor is probably higher. I don't expect to get just a complete terrible performance out of Notre Dame, but I don't think that they're quite where they can beat Clemson, um, even on their best day. It sort of reminds me of, of Miami a little bit, and I think they're limited in what they can do. Um, so, you know, if we're talking about tiers, yeah, I think Clemson's all alone in its own tier. I think that next tier is probably – um, you know, you can probably throw Miami, Virginia, Tech, Carolina and uh and uh Notre Dame into the same tier, though I'd kind of argue again, I think the upside at tech and Carolina is probably a little bit higher, but the downside is probably a little lower for both of them than it is for Miami and Notre Dame, where I think that the margin between their best game and their worst game is probably not as wide as it as it might be for those other two. Um so yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're Clemson uh, and this is sort of why we always say at the beginning of every year, like, well, wow, maybe they're not playing that well. It's because Dabo's just kind of playing around, seeing what he's got at this point. Like, they're, they're still a little bit in the fact-finding stage of who they are. And I think people forget, like, last year's defense was completely built around Isaiah Simmons, who's not there anymore. They're replacing four out of five starters on the offensive line. They lost their two leading receivers from last year. Like, this isn't the same team that it's been the last few years, but I also – you look at that Miami game and you say – I don't think it matters. They're still really, really talented everywhere. Who
1: is the team MVP on Clemson? I mean, you've got Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) I I wrote the stats down here. Trevor Lawrence, 1,440 yards, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. He hasn't thrown an interception in like 12 games or something like that. I mean, some ridiculous number. Or Travis Etienne, who all, you know, 392 rushing. All of a sudden, he's catching the ball in the backfield, 245 receiving, (laughs) five touchdowns. Uh, Who is the team MVP? Who who is the better of those two players?
2: You know, I would be hard-pressed to pick one because I think they are elite, both of them. Uh, I I think, you know, what Etienne does is so spectacular, and he is as uh, difficult to bring down as a back as I've seen, and that wasn't how I viewed him when he first started. Like, his freshman year, I thought, that's a guy with, like, breakaway speed. Like, his first step is as fast as I've seen. Like, he just kind of shifts into that next year so quickly. And he's developed. As you mentioned, the the role in the passing game has blossomed over the last year or so. Um, he's just so versatile and does so many things. But I still probably have to lean to Trevor as the MVP just because, like, I don't know that we'll we'll go back and look and say he was the best quarterback to ever play college football. I mean, he is so, so good at what he does. And the thing that I think really goes i i almost say both of them are underrated to a certain extent because it's etn's always sort of in the shadow of somebody else but the thing that makes trevor so underrated is how easy he makes everything look like everything that he does seems simple until you see somebody else try to do the same thing and realize no what he's doing the throws he's making uh are, are is so hard to do and that like the fact that like he gets knocked for checking down too much. No, he's just really good at going through his progressions and he does it with, with utter efficiency. And he's, you know, we talk about the, dy- the dynamic approach of, of ETN, but Lawrence really has developed as a runner too. And you'll see him uh, take off and run. He haven't so far this year very much, but I think particularly the tail end of last year, he was a real weapon as a runner. Um, I just, I don't think there's too many quarterbacks that have ever played that bring to the table quite what Trevor Lawrence does. And I think it'll be years before we fully appreciate quite how good he was.
1: I, I saw this from a tweet that you had. Since Trevor Lawrence's last interception, he's thrown for 3,948 yards and 43 touchdowns. That's pretty
2: good. <laughs> Which, if, if we hadn't seen Joe Burrow, that would have been like the best season of a quarterback ever. And he's done it in between interceptions.
1: That is insane, and and Etienne, you know, he's going to run for five thousand yards in his career, and people will be like, oh yeah, he, he was pretty good too. Uh, <laughs> this, this next this next uh, tier here, you, you sort of outlined it before. You, I break it into two categories: the challengers for the crown, unblemished so far, and those that are blemished. Uh, who do you put two right now? Notre Dame or North Carolina? Just ba- based on the teams that are still unbeaten. Uh,
2: I I think I would probably lean Notre Dame as being the most likely to finish the season in the number two spot just because I don't, you know, I don't think they're going to beat Clemson, but I also don't think that they're going to go out and and lose a game that they shouldn't lose. I mean, I I, uh, was... Perhaps uh, a little too vocally high on Pitt this year, and and I still think Pitt's a very good team. Oh, we're getting the, we're getting team, to Pitt, David. Yeah. We're going to get to but that. That was a team you knew you knew from day one. They were going to shoot themselves in the foot at some point. I I, I look at at Carolina and I say I still feel like they're going to shoot <laughs> themselves in the foot. And 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 look, they played a pretty uneven game against Syracuse in the opener. That game against Virginia Tech. I mean, they should have put Virginia Tech away. And not let them climb their way back, and and a little bit of that was fluky, you know, you get an onside kick and stuff like that. But, but the fact of the matter is, you can't have you can't have a team down 21 and let them back into it. That that speaks to some some potential issues there. So, you know, I I, I think Notre Dame is probably the slightly more consistent of the two. I think again, Carolina probably has a little bit higher ceiling than than Notre Dame does. But if you said like you got to put money on one of the two of them ending up in the ACC title game. I think the smart money's on Notre Dame.
1: Yeah. I, I think both of their team's biggest problems is that they're not Clemson, <laughs> which is yeah, a lot of yeah. teams problems in the ACC. Notre Dame. I, I just wondered, do they have enough of a passing offense to get it done? And I, yeah. I know Ian.
2: And I've always looked at, I've always looked at Ian Book as sort of like, he fits into that sort of, you know, Jake Browning category of those guys that are like very good starters in a very good program for years. But did they ever really elevate their team? Did they, are they really the guy that you're going to go and win it all with? And, um, I just, you know, I feel like that's really insulting to Ian Book, who's been a very good quarterback, but um, I feel like he just kind of tops out as pretty good as opposed to somebody like Trevor Lawrence or Sam Howell, who is, I think, potentially great.
1: Yeah, no, and Book's not helped by his receivers this year. They just don't have the the horses there uh, that, that they had in the past. I wonder, can you beat a team like Clemson if you can't throw the ball at a, be- a better than out. average uh, clip. I mean, you just have to be able to throw it and score. Uh, with North Carolina, yeah, I question the defense, and certainly after watching that game. But they can score with anybody in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they, if if you're going to go shootout, and that's maybe how you have to beat a team like Clemson. Uh, there's no team in the ACC better equipped for that than than the Tar Heels, right?
2: Yeah, I, so I, I I think so. I guess maybe the, if you you could kind of put this question two ways, like who is the team most likely to play for the ACC championship game against Clemson? I think it's probably Notre Dame. If you say some team is going to beat Clemson this year, who's it going to be? I think the best answer is probably Carolina. Um, I don't, I don't expect it to happen, but I think that, that, yeah, look, the the depth of talent on offense is really one of the big distinguishing features of, of Carolina is that they're not, you know, they don't have one good receiver. They've got three really good receivers. They don't have one good back. They've got two that can be game breakers. They're, those backs are um,
1: incredible. I was amazed by yeah. that. They were fantastic they, the other day.
2: They are, again, you know, Brent Venables wants you wants to get you out of your comfort zone. And the, the the real danger of Carolina is that they don't have a comfort zone. They can do so much well. And and I think that's, that's the key. It's really hard for a team like Miami – that just doesn't have, or as you mentioned Notre Dame, that just doesn't have the guys on the outside to stretch the field. Clemson's defense can kind of put them in a box. You saw the coverage sacks that, that Dear King had to take. Um, it's just hard to win against Clemson when, you know, you really only do one thing well, or you need one thing to happen to open up the other things. That's not true of Carolina. I think they do so much well that you can – Scheme something up against them and they can say, all right, well, then we'll do this instead and still be successful.
1: Yeah, that was the thing with North Carolina that I was impressed with was, you know, you you think, oh, we have this Heisman type uh, quarterback. We got to run it up and throw the ball a ton. But you know, they realized that Virginia Tech couldn't stop the run last week. And they're like, OK, we're just going to keep doing that to the tune of 400 yards. And there was no like, you know, well, we got to get Howell his yards in this game. So I was impressed by the fact that maybe they could put aside a little bit of ego and just go, this is how we're going to beat this team. We're going to beat him down the field. Uh, I'm curious. I, I did not think Mac Brown would be doing this. At, at yeah. North Carolina, uh, I fully admit I was wrong on that when they hired him. What did you think when when the Tar Heels initially went that route? Did you go, "Oh man, here's a, a retread hire if ever there was one," or did you see, "Hey, this is a Hall of Fame coach that maybe he knows a thing or two about running a program"?
2: Yeah, no, I was uh, incredibly skeptical. In fact, I had uh, I had it a pretty good authority that that hire was coming. Um, well before it was announced. And I, uh, in bad journalistic form, really did not follow up on the lead very well because I just thought, there's no way they're going to do this. That would be so stupid. Uh, and they did it. And I was really wrong because it was not stupid. It was br- brilliant. And you know, the thing of it is, and I knew Mac a little bit from working with him at ESPN, um, and, and he's so likable. And I almost viewed that as sort of a deficit. Like Mac's just so positive and upbeat and likable. And, uh, uh, but the thing is, when you get to talking to him about a vision or a plan that he has for something, God, he's such a good salesman. He's very much like Dago in that sense. And that, that he just does such a good job of getting everybody enthusiastic about the plan that he's created. And I think that's 90% of the battle uh, with a lot of coaches. I mean, you're you're talking about guys who are still, you know, even the five stars are developmental guys in college. And so, um, you know, getting everybody pulling in the same direction is is huge and Max great at it. And then to his credit, uh, he surrounded himself with with really good people. Phil Longo is as innovative and offensive coach as there is in college football. Jay Bateman has, you know, that defense is a little bit of a work in progress. So I think he didn't inherit a ton of talent there. And he's done a really nice job with what he has. And then you know, Mac Brown's, they got there and Mac was like, look, we got to recruit North Carolina and that's got to start by getting the best player in the state of North Carolina to come here. And they went out and got Sam Howell. And he is, um, you know, I think from a a confidence standpoint, a little bit of that Baker Mayfield type and that he just plays with with a little bit of chip on his shoulder. um, This like, how dare you think you can beat me? I'm going to go out and prove you wrong type of thing. And uh, all of that has coalesced into a program that has turned around really, really Quickly, and, and it comes from again, Mac Brown having a vision. And uh, I think it was a lot harder for the rest of us to see that vision until Mac started explaining it. And then he starts explaining it, and you're like, no, that makes sense. Why did I think this was so stupid?
1: I think what's interesting is you hear Mac Brown, you go, he's a recruiter. And he is, and he's got recruiting going in the right direction. But the, the big recruit that they got was Howell. And I don't want to underestimate how, or understate how big that was, but a lot of the talent that he's doing this was. was Guys that were already on the roster. And now Howell's yeah. actually you know made a huge difference, obviously, but uh, clearly the future is bright with some of the classes they have come in here at UNC.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick Sporting Goods.
1: I go to the next tier now. Uh, blemished, but next in line. I got Miami and Virginia Tech in, in some order, those two. Start with the Canes. Uh, you saw them. Uh you know we we know Derek king we know the running game seems like the receivers really could not get open and that that was a yep. that was something that you were going to go is this going to happen with miami if, with these kind of receivers uh i'm curious your thoughts on the o line as well that's a group that obviously was maligned last year played a little bit better this year uh where is miami at coming out of that game
2: uh, you know i think the question will be answered in large part this week against pittsburgh because um two things. Number one is how, how much of a hangover does Miami carry with them? Because if they went into that game thinking, we're going to win, which of course you want your team to think, but like if that was a sort of defining moment for this team and they're going to respond by saying, well, we got blown out by Clemson now, our season's lost. That That's, and we've seen Miami teams do this in the past, like nobody was going to beat Clemson on Saturday. It doesn't really, I mean, it, yes, it, it, it underscored some flaws in Miami's roster, but I don't think that Miami needs to walk away from that game being like, well, we can't be competitive in the ACC now. There's still a lot in front of them. So I'm interested to see from a a morale standpoint how they respond. But the other thing is, you know, Pittsburgh for their own flaws, has a very good defense too. And is probably of all of the teams in the ACC probably best equipped to do something similar to what Clemson did defensively. You know, they don't need to blitz a lot. They can get pressure with their front four. Um, they've got really dynamic and experienced guys in the secondary. They've got athletic linebackers that can kind of keep the King in the pocket a little bit better. Um, that's what Clemson used against them, you know? And so I I think this matchup is going to be particularly telling of, of what Miami can be. The answer is they're not going to be Clemson. And if that's the only answer that they needed to hear about this season, then it can get ugly. And we saw last year what happened when things got ugly at Miami. I think they need to take this as like, all right, you know, this was a benchmark. We're still a long ways away, but let's get back to building again. And if they do that, they've got a very good chance to beat Pittsburgh. And I think they've got a very good chance to keep running the table the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, that's the body blow theory, right? Coming off a game against Clemson. I I was surprised. I saw the line. It was like ten and a half for Miami. Yeah, that which... seems insanely high to me.
2: I also agree, which probably means that they're going to win by 40. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, the old I coastal division agree. theory.
1: Uh, yeah. Miami plays Pitt, UVA, at NC State, at Virginia Tech. That's a that's a tough stretch. I think we'll find out a lot about the Canes and if they have any kind of staying power. Uh, Virginia Tech, did you ever think you would see this with the Hokies? Highest scoring offense in the ACC, uh, worst defense in the ACC in terms of points per <laughs> game. Uh, I have a close-up view of the Hokies, so I kind of can't believe it. Uh, Can you believe it from afar as I've been watching?
2: You know, part of it is sort of hard to even estimate what this defense should be or could be because they have not played at full strength at all. And while I don't think there's – you certainly can't say any one player is responsible for giving up 400 yards on the ground, but uh, Diablo is one of the best safeties at playing against the run in the country – And having him out, I think, really impacts a game plan. So I I want to say I want to just kind of rail against Virginia Tech for playing this poorly on defense. But it's also sort of hard to do it because I don't know exactly how good they're going to be if they have all their guys on the field. But we also have no idea when the heck the next time they're going to have all their guys on the field is going to be. So, um, you know, they're kind of in for what they're in for. I almost say the bigger concern, if I'm Virginia Tech, is is the quarterback situation, and it looks like Hooker's going to be the guy going forward. I think that's probably the right move. You know, you've got to be able to um, have some versatility on offense, and and the fact that they've run the ball as well as they have is as positive a step forward for Virginia Tech as you can have, because as you well know, the last pretty much for the better part of the last decade, they have struggled to find a guy who can be consistent in that running game. And it looks like they have him now in, in Khalil Herbert. Um, but you got to have the quarterback who can utilize that to also open up the passing game. And Burmeister was just not accurate. I think not consistent. What we get out of Hendon Hooker, I think is still a little bit of a, a question mark. I don't know that, um, you know, we certainly saw high points last year. Um, there's certainly some questions about the receiving core that he's got and all of that stuff too. So, To me, I I, I tend to offer a little grace to the defense because I think there's still plenty of room to improve and rationale for why they've struggled. But I really want to see Hooker go out and put in a, a lights out performance at quarterback at some point in the next week or two.
1: See, I'll disagree with you uh, at the concern of quarterback. I think they're sad at quarterback. I think Hooker uh, is an underrated passer. I think he, last year, had he thrown like four more passes or something like that, I think he would have had the second best passing efficiency in the ACC behind Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's, not a, he's not the kind of guy where if you're down seven and you're behind the sticks and you have to throw it down the field, that's not – his kind of game, but I think as a guy with a running game and they can get in good situations, he's a pretty good passer. Maybe underrated uh, as people see how he goes. Uh, it'll be curious to see how they do that. I, I think they still want to play Burmeister in some fashion. Uh, he does have that running ability that they really uh-huh. like. Uh, obviously, the running game thrived that whole read option game the first couple of weeks. Uh, I think that's going to be the challenge for Fuente is how to balance that with two guys because. Whoever really pulls that off with two quarterbacks? No, I mean, they well, always say oh, it always be great in theory, but in theory it's just tough to do. Uh, I think that'll be the biggest challenge with Virginia Tech is figuring out how to insert both those guys in the game if they're going to still go with that plan. But I do think Hooker, uh, I think as he showed in that second half of North Carolina, he brings something to this offense that just really gets that whole offense going, passing game and running game. Uh, next here I have, I, I call this the, the hey now, tier because these are two teams that I wouldn't have pegged early in the season is like that great but you know Boston College has looked all right uh Djurkovic, uh throwing the ball I just learned how to pronounce his name cuz they're playing <laughs> this week and then NC State uh looks like a completely different team with Devin leary a quarterback uh are these two teams frisky all of a sudden
2: <laughs> uh frisky's probably a good word yeah i think you know BC <laughs> the the record's nice and they could easily be 4-0 too um, on the other hand, they could easily be 0-4 probably if, uh, if things had fallen in the other direction. So there's sort of that – they remind me a little bit of Carolina last year where, like, they're not going to be an easy out, uh, but they're probably not going to win any easy ones either. Um, but, they're, you know, this is I, what I did over the offseason. I kind of go through and look at each position group and see how they stack up against the rest of the ACC and, uh, the, the, and kind of put together, you know, my offseason, like, all ACC team and stuff. Uh, and one of the big takeaways I had from doing that exercise this year was, boy, there's a lot more talent on Boston College's roster than you would assume based on how they have played, and I think Jeff Hathley has gone in there and kind of taken off a little bit of the reins and put in um, you know, a, a, a game plan that allows his guys to maximize their talent, um, so I, they're good. I mean, they've got probably – uh the second best tight end in the league they've got a quarterback now who can do some things they've got david bailey's a really good running back they're really good up front on the offensive line um they've got some guys who can make plays on special teams I, they're dangerous without question i i you know again i don't think that they're going to go into clemson and win games but I, they're going to be a challenge to anybody who they go up against it's just not going to be easy to beat them uh, um NC State, I think, is probably a little more of a work in progress. But what you're seeing with NC State is a team that's really built some confidence and and one that was just devastated by bad luck and injuries last year and is kind of coming out on the other side of that this year. So one of the biggest numbers that I look at every year when you say, like, who's going to be the surprise team? is I go back two years and I look at how much their turnover differential moved from one year to the next. And if you find outliers in that, teams that all of a sudden – from one year to the next, had a ton more points off turnovers than they did the year before or the other direction. They're almost guaranteed to kind of regress to the mean and uh, either go up or down. NC State had, I think, the largest turnover shift downward uh, from 2018 to 2019. So you look at that and you say, all right, well, just luck alone should help this team quite a bit in 2020 and I think you're seeing a good bit of that but the other thing is Devin Leary who I mean if you look at his numbers you don't say boy he's just tearing it up he's been okay but you the offense just functions so much more smoothly with him at quarterback I mean with Hockman there it kind of looked like everything was difficult now you really see what they had what they can do and they've got some talent at receiver at tight end and uh and at running back I, I don't put them in sort of that Virginia Tech category or Carolina category, because I don't think those guys are as talented, but they can do, they have sort of like the poor man's version of the best in each of, the, each of those positions. They're good at, you know, Angeline's a really good red zone target. They have, you know, Thayer Evans and those guys are really solid at receiver. Um, and then, you know, Zonovan Knight and, and uh, oh crap, the other guy's name's slipping my mind, but th- they have some running backs that they can go and do some things with. So You know, Again, I don't think they're an easy out, but I think they're going to be one of those teams that is going to, I think, get better as the year goes along, too, because you can see the confidence level changing with them.
1: Ricky Person, the other running back. Ricky
2: Person. How did I forget that? (laughs)
1: Uh, Best part of uh, Aleem McNeil's pick six last week was maybe the (laughs) highlight of the week, was the best part of that, the tip and the catch to himself the stiff arm after he gets the ball or the fact that a defensive tackle wearing number 29 intercepted a quarterback wearing number 36.
2: (laughs) We live in a a weird world of Jersey numbers this year. I saw, I forget what game I was watching the other day, but they had to change somebody's Jersey because they had two guys wearing number zero on special teams. And I was (laughs) like, no, what world are we living in? But no, I, I, you know, it's funny. I talked to Lee McNeil this week and uh, he's awesome, by the way, I highly recommend uh, doing an interview with him. But he was a middle linebacker and right fielder in high school, and I was like, oh, so you must have put on a lot of weight when you got to Carolina to, to play nose tackle, and he's like, no, no, I, uh, I played middle linebacker and right fielder at 295, <laughs> so dude's an athlete, and he can move with that weight, so um, yeah, no, that play was awesome, that's my highlight of the season so far, I think.
1: All right, we've come to the are you in or out uh, phase of or tier of of our standing tier. and it's come to that moment. It's it's pit. It's time for pit. Uh, you, you posted you posted the picture of uh, Toots is the cat driving the the pit bandwagon. <laughs> what happened with Pitt or is this just this is just what you get the full pit experience?
2: Yeah, i I think this is why I uh, I meld so well with with pit fans is like they're very representative of my overall perspective on life it's like they have this consistent hoping for the best but expecting the worst um mentality because that's what they have been taught again and again and again over the years um you know it's frustrating if if you're a pit fan because i really do think the talent is there this year um they don't run the ball very well and that has killed them uh, it killed them last year and it's killing them again this year. They can't, you know, they can't uh, sustain drives enough that I think it wears down a defense that has lost a little bit of its depth. Um, they put way too much under Kenny Pickett's shoulders. And I think he's a fine quarterback, but he is not a guy who you want to be the only weapon that you have offensively. Um, they're really good on defense. I think all, at, at all three levels, but they're not super deep because of some attrition with injuries and opt outs and stuff like that. So when you're not sustaining drives on offense and you got a bunch of three and outs in a row, it, it, they struggle to get off the field sometimes. And um, that's how you end up with back-to-back one-point losses that are just utterly perplexing and frustrating um, because I do think that the high end for this team is, is still awfully high. And, you know, you talk about who could beat Clemson and I think Carolina certainly is, is the obvious answer because they could win a shootout against Clemson. I think if all went well for Pittsburgh, they're the team that could play a defensive battle against Clemson and have a chance to win, um, but they're just so one-dimensional offensively right now that it is uh, every week a challenge for them.
1: Well, at least you didn't tie your your pit confidence to having to eat a spoonful of mayonnaise. <laughs> like my colleague Andy Staples. Uh, that was pretty brutal. Yeah,
2: I don't know what he was thinking, but my my wife is as um, overt a hater of mayonnaise as probably exists on the planet. Uh, And she may have divorced me if I had uh, made a wager like that. So um, yeah, I'll leave that to Andy to uh, I, 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 he should have known better, though. Is what is, is what I'm saying. You can't have watched Pitt for all these years and still thought, you know what? I'm going to put something like this on the line or that. No, we, I was driving that Pitt bandwagon, but I was uh, I had the ejector seat ready to go at any time. That's
1: smart, very smart. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you
0: can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV. Makes up for your mother not preach chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirectTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: All right, we're in the bottom half of the league here, so we'll move a little bit quicker. Uh, these two teams I just don't know what to make of them right now. Georgia tech and Virginia, Uh, Georgia tech, I think has exceeded everybody's expectations so far, but I I watched them and I just, I'm not quite there. I I feel like this is still like a year, a transition year before they really make a step. And Virginia, uh, you know, beat Duke play better than people think against Clemson, then lose at home to NC state. You know, questions about whether Brennan Armstrong can play this week, which I think really affects that offense, but uh, that defense still seems legit and can keep them in there. What do you think of those two?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty much right with you on both of them. I think you can see what Jeff Collins is building at at Georgia Tech, and I think they're going to be really good in a year or two. Um, And, you know, if you're Florida State and you watch Sam Howell and Jeff Sims going out and doing what they're doing, um, and you're back there with, like, your four rotating quarterbacks wishing you had actually landed one of those recruits you wanted, um, you're not feeling great. Uh, but. You know, Georgia Tech is clearly. I think they're going to be one of the most fun, like four-win teams in the country this year uh, because they're going to be uh, they're going to have their moments that are really good. But I don't think they're quite good yet. Virginia is sort of the opposite in that I think their you know that that linebacking core is really really good. They've got some tools. I've been shocked at how effective the receivers have been because I thought that was going to be a real area of concern for them. Um, but I don't. I just don't think there's much upside there. I think you're going to kind of get what you get every week from Virginia, and some weeks the opposition is not going to be enough to beat that. And some weeks, you're going to run into an NC State team that's playing really well, and they're going to lose. I think Virginia is sort of the perfect median line of the ACC. Of like, if you're only if you're better than Virginia, you're pretty good. If you're worse than Virginia, you're not very good. And Virginia is pretty much the the uh, the x-axis of the ACC.
1: All right, our next category, I call this the Tuesday in Greensboro uh, category. That's a good one. These are the teams playing on the first day of the ACC basketball tournament. I got Louisville, Wake Forest, and Duke uh, in some order. Uh, Louisville, uh, I'll run this Simpsons reference by you. I think everybody looked at Louisville kind of like Disco Stew did about (laughs) disco record sales in the year ending 1976, up 400%. Everybody goes, if this continues, hey. Like they improved Uh, from two wins to eight wins last year. And everybody's like, man, if this keeps up, watch out, not thinking this is a really tough thing to do after a six-win improvement to improve on that team again. Uh, Are we just sort of seeing uh, like this? it's tough to improve off of that big of an improvement?
2: I was thinking, uh, Simpsons must have gone with this joke a, a lot, which is is reasonable because it's a good one. But I was thinking about, uh, when, uh, Homer has pumpkin futures in October and he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. That
1: was the other one I was thinking of referencing, too. That was
2: good. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I think that, look, I, I and I said this offseason, like Louisville was, is still a team that is, uh, talent deficient on one side of the ball. And it's just going to, they, they pretty much have to play, uh, perfectly on offense to win games consistently and we saw against Georgia Tech I I thought Louisville was probably through most of that game the better team but you have a bunch of turnovers and their defense is just not good enough to stop you they're a little like uh, like Ole Miss has looked so far this season too it's like I I don't want to play Louisville I think they can move the ball they're certainly capable of winning some games But, you know, I also don't know if they're ever going to get off the field long enough or enough times for their offense to pull ahead and win some games. So I I, I would say they're not as good as their record looked last year. They're not as bad as their record looks this year. They're somewhere in between. I still think there's a lot of upside there. But much like Georgia Tech, I think they're at least a year away from really being what Scott Satterfield wants them to be.
1: Wake or Duke, who's got a a better upside for the rest of the season? (laughs)
2: I'll go Wake. I don't feel great about it. If you could take Duke's defense and Wake's offense, I'd feel okay about that team. Um, you know, the the Duke defense is still pretty darn good. And that front four is really, really good. Um, but God, they're so offensively challenged. And I every week I text my colleague Andrea every week, and I, and I mean no disrespect to the poor kid, but like, do they really not have somebody better than Chase Bryce to play quarterback right now? Like, he is just not very good. And, uh, you know, they they win last week because they were able to run the ball a lot. Um, I just don't foresee that being the case very often uh, against most teams. I think the 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 struggles with Wake's defense are legit, but they've got a little more talent on defense than Duke has on offense, maybe. So I give a small nod to, to Wake Forest here.
1: Yeah, Duke's 363 rushing yards out of nowhere last week. I think it's one of the big surprises.
2: It's just like the Virginia Tech game last year. One game every year Duke has to turn up and do something that makes absolutely no sense and will never be repeated again.
1: Well, I think part of the reason they did that because it was against one of these teams this last year here, Syracuse. This is the, this is a, I don't have a title for this one. It's more of a picture and it's another Simpsons reference. It's, it's chief Wiggum with his tie stuck in the hot dog rollers at the quickie mart. (laughs) And it's the, this is going to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) Tier, Uh, I've got Syracuse and Florida state start with Syracuse. Just uh, the injuries are just devastating this team right now. You you lose Andre Cisco, one of the best safeties in the league. Tommy DeVito might not play this week. Uh, what happened at, at Syracuse? I mean, they're, they're three point, three point, three and a half point underdogs at home against Liberty. this yeah. week. Where did this go um, off the rails with Dino Babers? Cause two years ago, they're winning 10 games and we're going, this is, you know, he's got them back on track and now they're a four or five win team again. If that.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, it's, um, it's concerning if you're a Syracuse fan, because it's tough to explain. And, and, you know, the Cisco injury, the DeVito injury, like, you know, injuries are, are always going to be a concern at a place like Syracuse, uh, Wake, Duke, those places that are just not going to be able to ever recruit uh, blue-chip depth. You know, there's some teams that, you know, Clemson it has been very under-discussed this year, but Clemson has not had its top two defensive ends all season. It doesn't matter in a place like Clemson when that happens. At a place like Syracuse, when you lose – um, your starters, there's usually not a next tier that's quite ready to play, um, so I think that's part of it. But the bigger thing, I mean, you look at like they had these the, the, their top two running backs that opted out this year, not because they were worried about the virus, but because they're going to go train for the NFL. I, neither of them are NFL guys, and this has been a pretty consistent thing over the last few years of guys leaving Syracuse early to end up signing as like NFL free agents. Um, you know, if, if there's just not been a a a, a opportunity to really build on on stuff there because it feels like every year they're just kind of plugging in new holes and and that's a little bit what you come away from that that 10 win season i mean a i think you look at Dungey and say boy he was one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the acc in recent years because that guy did a lot with a lot less um but b they just you know there was no sort of uh foundation built by that 10-year season that you say, all right well here's that foundation let's start adding pieces to it it never got to that um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I, Syracuse is a very hard place to win football games. It is a very hard place to recruit to. So I am not willing to kind of go out on the limb of like, you know, Babers is a problem now. Maybe this, you know, maybe this isn't the answer long term. I'm not there yet with them. But um, yeah, this is a really bad football team. I will say, uh, I think Syracuse plus three and a half. I'll take that bet. I think they beat. I think they beat Liberty outright.
1: Well, we don't know if Hugh Freeze is coaching from a hospital bed or not. (laughs) My Uh, my, my,
2: my dream of having Hugh Freeze uh, coach from a different seating environment every week uh, never came to fruition. But that's what I want out of life.
1: Well, a place where you probably should be able to win more than they have recently, Florida State, uh, the only team we haven't hit on here. Uh, I saw you tweet this. Uh, if they lose this week and they're two touchdown underdogs to UNC, it'll be the first time since joining the ACC that they would have lost four straight conference games. Uh, this is just a, a bad team across the board. They're bad in spots that you wouldn't think they'd be bad. The no. defensive line, yeah. people thought it would be a strength. Uh, yeah. What is What is going on there? Is there hope at all with this team, with a quarterback change, that something gets going with them?
2: No, I think there's no hope <laughs> to be, I don't want to say that to, to poor FSU fans, but they've got plenty of places to drink in Tallahassee, so it's okay. Uh, I, I, you know, again, they are they don't have a quarterback. Their offensive line was always going to struggle. Um, they're thin at wide receiver aside from Tamari and Terry. Um, Hampson Hans, Nassro Dean has been out all year. Uh, you know, there's some things that you can point to and be like, yeah, they were up against it already. Um, but Then you look at, like, like you said, the defensive line was supposed to be one of the best units in the country and they're garbage. They're terrible. Uh, I mean, if Notre Dame had wanted to, they could have run for a thousand yards, I think against Florida state last week, this is just not a good football team. And, uh, poor Mike Norvell has really been in a bad spot since the beginning. You know, they didn't get spring practice. They had multiple issues come out over the off season of I think what would be generously considered miscommunications. Um, I think there is, you know, they've are, they're still having players that kind of are leaving the team. Cyrus Fagan did, I think a week ago. Um, I think clearly a youth movement is necessary there, but you know, there's deeper problems at Florida State. You don't go through three coaches in four years and lose these type of games. I mean, not only is this going to be the first time if they lose that they've lost four straight ACC games from 1992 when they joined the league, they didn't lose their fourth ACC game until 2001. <laughs> So it's not like it's you know, this is a program that is historically going to struggle. Like even their bad the bad years under Bowden before he left, they were still going to a bowl game every year. Like this is just there's no excuse for a team like Florida State being in the situation that they're in without there being some real problems behind the scenes. And so that infrastructure has to get fixed before the on field product does.
1: Well, David, we've come to the end of the line here. We've covered every team. Uh, You've certainly embiggened this podcast with your (laughs) crumbulate performance. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been uh, great.
2: Uh, I am happy to do it. Uh, The next time we should just do a pure Simpsons podcast. You'll have 11 listeners and it'll be wonderful.
1: I'll get that. I'll bring Aaron McFarlane in. We could have a three-way pod. We could do that. Uh, I've always dreamed of doing that. I I think you're the perfect guy to do that. Uh, I really appreciate that. Everybody go follow David on Twitter at a David Hale joint, which is a a great Twitter handle. You'll see the picture of sad Ben Affleck on the beach uh, on that. Uh, Just trust me, go follow him. You'll be smarter for it. David, thank you very much for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: Okay. Thanks to David for coming on for for that insight. Uh, Incredible stuff in the ACC. And uh, from a personal perspective, great to have some Simpsons references, to bounce that off of somebody else. Uh, I always enjoy doing that kind of stuff. That's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, If you can, uh, do us a favor. Go out there, rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, It really helps us get the word out to people who are maybe not aware of the podcast out there. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, if you got a friend who's a, who follows an ACC school, just recommend the podcast to him too. We'd really appreciate that. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, now is the time to do so. You can listen to this podcast ad-free on The Athletic. Uh, subscription gets you everything on the site in every sport. It's not like you're only subscribing for college football or specific team. You get everything in every sport. Uh, go to athletic.com slash pod. We have a couple of different deals you can choose from right now if you're a new subscriber. Uh, I'll be at a game this week, Boston College at Virginia Tech. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at AndyPitterVT. You can get my coverage there. Maybe a few Simpsons references too. I I can't promise that I won't do that. Uh, Anyway, good show. We'll talk to you next week.